Chapter 15 of South Sea Idols by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15. Kahele. From a bluff whose bald forehead jutted a thousand feet into the air, and under whose chin the sea shrugged its great shoulders, Kahele, my boy, that delightful contradiction, who was always plausible, yet never right, Kahele and I looked timidly over into the sunset valley of Mea, the valley of solitude it was called, albeit at that moment, and with half an eye, we counted the thirty grass lodges of the village, and heard the liquid tongues of a trio of waterfalls that dived head first into the groves at the farther end of the valley, where the mountain seemed to have opened its heart wide enough to let a rivulet escape into the sea. But the spot was a palpable and living dream, and no fond rivulet would go too hastily through it. So there was a glittering sort of monogram writ in water, and about it the village lodges were clustered in a very pleasing disorder. The trail dropped down the cliff below us in long swinging zigzags and wound lazily through the village crossed the stream at the ford, dipped off toward the sea, as though the beach, shining like coarse gold, were a trifle too lovely to be passed without recognition, and then it climbed laboriously up the opposite cliff, and struck off into space. In ten seconds a bird seemed to have spanned the deep ravine, and caught as much of its loveliness as we. But we weren't birds, and moreover we had six legs apiece to look after, so we tipped off from the dizzy ridge that overhung the valley of Meha to the north, and gradually descended into the heat and silence of the place that seemed to make a picture of itself when we first looked upon it from our eyrie. We found the floor of the valley very solemn and very lovely when we at last got down into it. Three youngsters, as brown as berries and without any leaves upon them, broke loose from a banana orchard and leaped into a low hoo-tree as we approached. They were a little shy of my color, pale faces being rare in that vicinity. Two women who were washing at the ford, and washing the very garments they would have had upon their backs, discovered us and plunged into the stream with a refreshing splash and a laugh apiece that was worth hearing, it was so genuine and hearty. Another youngster hurried off from a stone wall like a startled lizard, and struck on his head, but didn't cry much, for he was too frightened. A large woman lay at full length on a broad mat, spread under a pandanus, and slept like a turtle. I began to think there were nothing but women and children in the solitary valley, but Kahele had kept an eye on the reef, and with an air of superior intelligence, he assured me that there were many men living about there, and they, with most of the women and children, were then out in the surf fishing. To the beach, by all means, cried I, and to the beach we hastened, where, indeed, we found heaps of cast-off raiment and a hundred footprints in the sand. What would Mr. Robinson Crusoe have said to that, I wonder? Across the level water, heads, hands, and shoulders, and sometimes half-bodies, were floating about like the amphibia. We were at once greeted with a shout of welcome, which came faintly to us above the roar of the surf, as it broke heavily on the reef, a half-mile out from shore. 
It was drawing toward the hour when the fishers came to land, and we had not long to wait, before, one after another, they came out of the sea like so many mermen and mermaids. They were refreshingly innocent of etiquette, at least of our translation of it, and with a freedom that was amusing as well as a little embarrassing, I was deliberately fingered, fondled, and fussed with by nearly every dusky soul in turn. At last, thought I, fate has led me beyond the pale of civilization, for this begins to look like the genuine article. With uncommon slowness, the mermaids donned more or less of their apparel, a few preferring to carry their robes over their arms, for the air was delicious, and ropes of seaweed are accounted full dress in that delectable latitude. Down on the sand, the mermen heaped their scaly spoils, fish of all shapes and sizes, fish of every color, some of them throwing somersaults in the sand like young athletes, some of them making wry faces in their last agony, some of them lying still and clammy, with big round eyes like smoked pearl vest buttons set in the middle of their cheeks, all of them smelling fish-like, and none of them looking very tempting. Small boys laid hold on small fry, bit their heads off, and held the silver-coated morsels between their teeth, like animated sticks of candy. There was a Friday-ish and Lent-like atmosphere hovering over the spot, and I turned away to watch some youths who were riding surfboards not far distant, agile, narrow-hipped youths, with tremendous biceps and proud, impudent heads set on broad shoulders like young gods. These were the flower and chivalry of the Maya blood, and they swam like young porpoises, every one of them. There was a break in the reef before us. The sea knew it, and seemed to take special delight in rushing upon the shore as though it were about to devour sand, savages, and everything. Kahele and I watched the surf-swimmers for some time, charmed with the spectacle. Such buoyancy of material matter I had never dreamed of. Kahele, though much in the flesh, could not long resist the temptation to exhibit his prowess, and having been offered a surfboard that would have made a good lid to his coffin, and was itself as light as cork and as smooth as glass, suddenly threw off his last claim to respectability, seized his sea-sled, and dived with it under the first roller which was then about to break above his head, not three feet from him. Beyond it, a second roller reared its awful front, but he swam under that with ease. At the sound of his open sesame, its emerald gates parted and closed after him. He seemed some triton, playing with the elements, and dreadfully at home in that very wet place. The third and mightiest of the waves was gathering its strength for a charge upon the shore. Having reached its outer ripple, again Kahele dived and reappeared on the other side of the watery hill, balanced for a moment in the glassy hollow, turned suddenly, and mounting the towering monster, he lay at full length on his fragile raft, using his arms as a bird its pinions, in fact soaring for a moment with the wave under him. As it rose, he climbed to the top of it, and there, in the midst of foam seething like champagne, on the crest of a rushing sea avalanche about to crumble and dissolve beneath him, his surfboard hidden in spume, on the very top bubble of all, 
Cahaly danced like a shadow. He leaped to his feet and swam in the air, another mercury, tiptoeing a heaven-kissing hill, buoyant as vapor, and with a suggestion of invisible wings about him. Cahaly transformed for a moment, and for a moment only. The next second my daring sea-skater leaped ashore, with a howling breaker swashing at his heels. It was something glorious and almost incredible, but I saw it with my own eyes, and I wanted to double his salary on the spot. Sunset in the valley of Meha, the air full of floating particles that twinkled like diamond dust, the great green chasm at the head of the valley illuminated by one broad bar of light shot obliquely through it tipped at the end with a shower of white rocks that fringed a waterfall and a fragment of rainbow like a torn banner that deep shadowy ravine seemed for a moment some mystery about to be divulged but the light faded too soon and i never learned the truth of it the sea quieter than usual very little sound save the rhythmical vibration of the air that suggested flowing waters and quivering leaves the lights shifted along the upper cliffs a silver-white tropic bird sailed from cloud to cloud swiftly and noiselessly like a shooting star a delicious moment but a brief one soon the sun was down and the deepening shadows and gathering coolness set all the valley astir campfires were kindled throughout the village column after column of thin blue smoke ascended in waving spirals separating at the top in leaf-shaped clouds it was like the spiritual resurrection of some ancient palm grove and when the moon rose a little later flooding the veil of solitude with her vague light the illusion was perfected and a group of savages scenting the savory progress in their supper sat hungry and talkative under every ghostly palm clear voices ascended in monotonous and weird recitative they chanted a monody on the death of some loved one prompted perhaps by the funereal solemnity of the hour or sang an ode to the moonrise the still flowing river or the valley of meha so solitary in one sense though by no means alone in its loneliness cahaly patronized me extensively i was introduced to camp after camp and in rapid succession repeated the experiences of a traveller who has much to answer for in the way of colour and the peculiar cut of his garments i felt as though i was some natural curiosity in charge of the robustious cahaly who waxed more and more officious every hour of his engagement and his tongue ran riot as he discanted upon my characteristics to the joy of the curious audiences we attracted some hours must have passed before we thought of sleep how could we think of it when every soul was wide awake and time alone seemed to pass us by unconsciously but cahaly finally led me to a chief's house where under coverlets of kappa spiced with herbs and in the midst of numerous members of the household i was advised to compose my soul in peace and patiently await daylight i did so for the drowsy sense that best illustrates the tail end of the day's journey possessed me and i was finally overcome by the low monotonous drone of a language that i found about as intelligible as the cooing of the multitudinous pigeon 
the boy sat near me still descanting upon our late experiences our possible future and the thousand trivial occurrences that make the recollections of travel forever charming the familiar pipe smoked at about the rate of three whiffs apiece circulated freely and kept the air mildly flavoured with tobacco and night with all that pertains to it bowed over me as in an unguarded moment i surrendered to its narcotizing touch there was another valley in my sleep like unto the one i had closed my eyes upon and i saw it thronged with ancients no white face had yet filled those savage and sensuous hearts with a sense of disgust which i believe all dark races feel when they first behold a bleached skin again the breathless heralds announced the approach of a king and the multitudes gathered to receive him i heard the beating of the tom-toms and saw the dancers ambling and posing before his august majesty who reclined in the midst of a retinue of obsequious retainers the spearmen hurled their spears and the strong men swung their clubs the stone-throwers threw skilfully and the sweetest singers sang long melees in praise of their royal guest a cry of fear rent the air as a stricken one fled toward the city of refuge the priests passed by me in solemn procession their robes spotted with sacrificial blood war canoes drew in from the sea and death fell upon the valley i heard the wail for the slaughtered and saw the grim idols borne forth in the arms of the triumphant then i awoke in the midst of that dream pageant of savage and barbaric splendour it was still night the sea was again moaning the cool air of the mountain rustled in the long thatch at the doorway a ripe breadfruit fell to the earth with a low thud i rose from my mat and looked about me the room was nearly deserted some one lay swathed like a mummy in a dark corner of the lodge but of what sex i knew not probably one who had outlived all sensations and perhaps all desires a rush strung full of oily kuhuki nuts flamed in the centre of the room and a thread of black smoke climbed almost to the peak of the roof but falling in with a current of fresh air it was spirited away in a moment i looked out of the low door the hour was such a one as tinges the stoutest hearts with superstition the landscape was complete in two colours a moist transparent grey and a thin feathery silver that seemed almost palpable to the touch out on the slopes near the stream reclined groups of natives chatting singing smoking or silently regarding the moon i passed them unnoticed dim paths led me through guava jungles under orange groves and beside clusters of jasmine overpowering in their fragrance against the low eaves of the several lodges sat singers players upon the rude instruments of the land and glib talkers who waxed eloquent and gesticulated with exceeding grace footsteps rustled before and behind me i stole into the thicket and saw lovers wandering together locked in each other's embrace and saw friends go hand in hand conversing in low tones or perhaps mute with an impressive air of the most complete tranquillity 
The night-blooming Sirius laid its ivory urn open to the moonlight, and a myriad of crickets chirped in one continuous jubilee. Voices of merriment were wafted down to me, and stealing onward toward the great meadows by the stream, where the sleepless inhabitants of the valley held high carnival. I saw the most dignified chiefs of Meha sporting like children, while the children capered like imps, and the whole community seemed bewitched with the glorious atmosphere of that particular night. Who was the gayest of the gay, and the most lawless of the unlawful? My boy, Kahele, in whom I had placed my trust, and whom, until this hour at least, I had regarded as a most promising specimen of the reorganized barbarians. Perhaps it was all right. Perhaps I had been counting his steps with too much confidence. They might have been simply a creditable performance, the result of careful training on the part of his tutors. I am inclined to think they were. At any rate, Kahele went clean back to barbarism that night, and seemed to take to it amazingly. I said nothing. I thought it wiser to seem to hold the reins, though I held them loosely, than to try to check the career of my half-tamed domestic, and to find him beyond my control. Therefore I sat on one side taking notes, and found it rather jolly on the whole." The river looked like an inky flood with a broken silver crust. Canoes floated upon its sluggish tide like long feathers. Swimmers plied up and down it, now and then blowing whale-fashion, but slipping through the water as noiselessly as trout. I could scarcely tell which was the more attractive, nature so fragrant and so voluptuous, or man, who had become a part of nature for the hour, and was very unlike man as I had been taught to accept him. Not till dawn did the dance or the song cease, not till everybody was grey and fagged, and tongues had stopped wagging from sheer exhaustion. I returned to my mats, long ere that, to revolve in my mind plans for the following day. It was evident that Kahele must at once quit the place or go back to barbarism and stick there. I didn't care to take the responsibility of his return to first principles, and so ordered the animal saddled by sunrise. At that delicious moment the youngster lay like one of the seven sleepers whom nothing could awaken. Everybody in the village seemed to be making up his lost sleep, and I was forced to await the return of life before pressing my claim any further. The scorching noon drew on. A few of the sleepers awoke, bathed, ate of their cold repast, and slept again. Kahele followed suit. In the midst of his refreshment, I suggested the advisability of instant departure. He hesitated. I enlarged upon the topic, and drew an enticing picture of the home stretch, with all the endearing associations clustering about its farther end. He agreed to everything with a sweet and passive grace that seemed to compensate me for the vexations of the morning. I went to the river to bathe while the beasts were being saddled, and returned anon to find Kahele sound asleep, and as persistent in his slumbers as ever. The afternoon waned. I began to see the fitness of the name that had at first seemed to me inappropriate to the valley. Everybody slept or lazed during the hot hours of the day, and a census-taker might easily have imagined the place a solitude. 
At sunset there was more fishing and more surf swimming. It seemed to me the fish smelt stronger and the swimmers swam less skillfully than on the evening previous. Possibly it was quite as pretty a spectacle as the one that first charmed me, but blessings are bores when they come out of season. Night drew on apace, the moon rose, and the inhabitants pretended to rest, but were shortly magnetized out of their houses, where they danced till daybreak. The sweets of that sort of thing began to cloy, and I resolved upon immediate action. Kahele was taken by the ears at the very next sunrise, and ordered to get up the mules at once. He was gone nearly all day, and came in at last with a pitiful air of disappointment that quite unmanned me. His voice, too, was sympathetic, and there was something like a tear in his eye when he assured me that the creatures had gone astray, but might be found shortly. Perhaps even then they were approaching, and the young scamp rose to reconnoitre, glad, no doubt, of an excuse for escaping from my natural but ludicrous discomfiture. It is likely that my boy Kahele would have danced till doomsday had I not shown spleen. It is as likely also that the chief and all his people would have helped him out in it, had I not offered such rewards as I thought sufficient to tempt their greed. But thank heaven there is an end to everything. On the morning of the fourth day, two travellers might have been seen struggling up the face of the great cliff that walls in the valley of Meha to the south. The one a pale face, paler than usual, urging on the other a dark face, darker than was its wont. Never did animals so puzzle their wits to know whether they were indeed desired to hasten forward or turn back at the very next crook in the trail. We were at big odds, Kahaley and I, for another idol of mine had suddenly turned to clay, and though I am used to that sort of thing, I am never able to bear it with decent composure. On we journeyed, working at cross-purposes, and getting nearer to the sky all the while, and finally losing sight of the bewitching valley that had demoralized and so nearly divorced us, getting wet in the damp grasses on the highlands, and sometimes losing ourselves for a moment in the clouds that lie late on the mountains, seeing lovely, narrow, and profound vales wherein the rain fell with a roar like hail, where the streams swelled suddenly like veins, and where often there was no living creature discernible, not even a bird, where silence brooded and the world seemed empty. A very long day's journey brought us out of the green and fertile land that lies with its face to the trade wind. There the clouds gather and shed their rains, but all of the earth lying in the lee of the great central peak of the island is as dust and ashes, unwatered, unfruitful, and uninteresting, save as a picture of deep and dreadful desolation. No wonder that Kahele longed to tarry in the small Eden of Mea knowing that we were about to journey into the deserts that lie beyond it. No wonder that the shining shores of the valley beguiled him, when he knew that henceforth the sea would break upon long beaches of black lava, as unpicturesque as a coal-heap, the path along which was pain, and the waysides anguish of spirits, where fruit was scarce, 
and water brackish and every edible dried and deceitful having slept the sleep of the just for i felt that i had done what i could to reclaim my backsliding kahele i woke on a sabbath morning that presented a singular spectacle its chief features were a glittering metallic tinted sea and a smoking plain backed by naked sand hills the low brush scattered thinly over the earth tried hard to look green but seldom got nearer to it than a dusty gray evidently there was no sap in those charred twigs for they snapped like coral when you tested their pliancy a few huts dust-colored and ragged were scattered along the trail they had apparently lost all hope and paused by the wayside to end their days in despair the halle or prayer house chief of the forlorn huts by virtue of extraordinary hollowness and a ventilation that was only exceeded by all out of doors this prayer house or church was thrown open to the public and to my amazement kahaley suggested the propriety of our attending worship even before the first conch had been blown from the rude door by the deacon himself we went along the chalky path that led to the front of the house and sat in the shelter of the eaves for an hour or more seven times that conch was blown and on each occasion the neighborhood responded though stingily a few worshippers would issue out of the wilderness and draw slowly toward us one or two men came on horseback and were happy in their mood exhibiting the qualities of their animals on the flats before us some came on foot with their shoes in hand the shoes were carefully put on at the church door but put off again a few moments after entering the rustic pews dogs came about one for every human these lay all over the floor or mounted the seats or were held in the arms of the congregation as the case might be children came and played a savage version of leapfrog in the lee of the church but they were bleak-looking youngsters not at all like the little human vegetables that flourished in the genial atmosphere of the valley of meha the conch was blown again the most melancholy sound that ever issued from windy cavity floated up and down that disconsolate land and seemed to be saying in pathetic gusts come to meeting come to meeting probably every one that could come had come at any rate no one else followed and after a decent pause the services of the morning were begun the brief interval of ominous silence that preceded the opening was enlivened by the caprices of a fractious horse and at least two stampedes of the canine persuasion at which time the dogs seemed possessed of devils and were running down in a body toward the sea but thought better of it and stole noiselessly back again one after the other just in season for the opening prayer to which they entered with a low comedy cast of countenance and a depressed tale that prayer bubbled out of the savage throat like a clear fountain of vowels the dignity of the man was impressive and his face the picture of devotion his deportment likewise was all that could be desired in any one under the circumstances either he was a rare specimen of the very desirable convert from barbarism or he was a consummate actor i dare not guess which of the two beguiled me with his grave and euphonious prayer 
I regret to state that during the energetic expounding of the scriptures, a few of the congregation forgot themselves and slept audibly. A few arose and went under the ease to smoke. Children went down on all fours and crawled under the pews in chase of pups as restless and incorrigible as themselves. At a later period, someone announced an approaching schooner, and the body of the house was unceremoniously cleared, for a schooner was as rare a visitor to that part of the island as an angel to any quarter of the globe. Further ceremony was out of the question, at least until the excitement had subsided. The parson, with philosophical composure, precipitated his doxology, and we all walked out into the dreary afternoon to watch the schooner blowing in toward shore. The wind was rising, white clouds scudded over us, transparent shadows slid under us, the whole earth seemed unstable, and life scarcely worth the living. Along the dead shore leaped the sea, in a careless daredevil fashion, Hollow rocks spouted great mouthfuls of spray contemptuously into the air. Columns of red dust climbed into the sky, reeling to and fro as they passed over the bleak desert toward the sea on the opposite side of the island. These dust chimneys were continually moving over the land so long as the wind prevailed, which was for the rest of that afternoon, to my certain knowledge. In fact, the gale increased every hour. Sheets of spray leaped over the rocky barriers of the shore and matted the dry grass that hissed like straw whenever a fresh gust struck it. One tattered cocoa palm, steadfast in its mission, though the living emblem of a forlorn hope, wrestled with the tempest that threw all its crisp and rattling leaves over its head like a pom-pom, and fretted it till its slender neck twisted as though it were being throttled. The thatched house seemed about to go to pieces, and every timber creaked in agony. Yet we gathered in its lee, and awaited the slow approach of the schooner. Near shore she put about, and seemed about the point of scudding off to sea again. For a moment our hearts were in our throats. We were in danger of missing the sensation of the season new faces, new topics of conversation, and perhaps something good to eat, sent thither by Providence, who seldom forgets his children in the waste places, though I wonder that he lets them lose themselves so often. The schooner rocked on the big rollers for half an hour. A small boat put off from her, and with some dark objects seated on it, out on the great rollers the little shallop rocked, sometimes hidden from view by an intervening wave, sometimes thrown partly out of the water, as it balanced for a moment on the crest of a breaker, but gradually drawing in toward a bit of beach, where there was a possible chance of landing in some shape or other. A few rods from shore, three dusky creatures deliberately plunged overboard and swam toward us, we rushed in a body to welcome them, two women, old residents of the place, who came out of the sea, wailing for joy, at their safe return, to a home no more inviting than the one whose prominent features I have sought to reproduce. Down they sat, not three feet from the water, that bubbled and hissed along the coarse sand, 
and lifted up their voices in pitiful and impressive monotones as they recounted in a savagely poetic chant their various adventures since they last looked upon the beloved picture of desolation that lay about them the third passenger a youngster came to land when he had got tired of swimming for the fun of it and once more upon his native heath he seemed at a loss to know what to do next but suffered himself to be vigorously embraced by nearly everybody in sight after which he joined his companions with placid satisfaction and capered about us naturally as though nothing unusual had happened off into the windy sea sped the small schooner bending to the breeze as though it were a perpetual miracle that brought her right side up every once in a while back to the deserted prayer house our straggling community wended its way everything that had been said before was said again with some embellishments it was beginning to grow tiresome i longed to plunge into the desert that stretched around seeking some possible oasis where the fainting spirit might assure itself that earth was beautiful and life a boon kahaley agreed with me that this sort of thing was growing tiresome he knew of a good place not many miles away we could go there and sleep it presented a church and a good priest and other inducements of an exceedingly proper and unexceptionable character the prospect though uninviting was sufficient to revive me for the moment and during that moment we mounted and were blown away on horseback the wind howled in our ears sand clouds peppered us heavily small pebbles and grit cut our faces heavier gusts than usual changed earth sea and sky into temporary chaos the day waned so did our spirits so did the life of our poor beasts in the distance the church of kehaley's prophecy stood out like a small rock in a land than which no land i wot of can be wearier the sun fell toward the sea the wind subsided though it was still lusty and disagreeable we entered the church having turned our disheartened beasts into paddock and found a meagre and late afternoon session seated upon mats that covered the earthen floor a priest strove to kindle a flame of religious enthusiasm in our unnatural hearts but i fear he sought in vain the truth was we were tired to death we needed wholesome soup savory meats and steaming vegetables to humanize us i didn't want to be christian on an empty stomach the wind began to sigh after its passion was somewhat spent sand sifted over the matting with a low hiss and the dull red curtains that stretched across the lower half of the windows flapped dolefully overhead the wasps had hung their mud baskets and the gray atmosphere of everything was depressing in the extreme service was soon over the people departed across the windy moors with much fluttering of gay garments a horse stood at pasture with his head down his back to the wind and his tail glued to his side a picture of sublime resignation a high mound with a sandstone sepulchre built in the face of it cut off half of the very red sunset while a cactus hedge starred with pale pink blossoms ran up a low hill and made silhouette pictures against the sky i turned to watch a large butterfly blown over in the late gale stranded as it were at the church porch 
and too far gone to set sail again a white seabird wheeled over me in big circles and screamed faintly something fell in the church with a loud echo a prayer-book probably and then the priest came out fastened the door of the deserted sanctuary and the day's duties were done we had nothing to do but follow him to his small frame dwelling where the one little window to the west seemed to be set with four panes of burnished gold and some homely household shrubs in his garden plot shivered and blossomed while they shivered but looked like so many widows and orphans the whole of them at the hospitable board life began afresh another day and we should again approach the borders of the earthly paradise that glorified the opposite side of the island cahaley's eyes sparkled my heart leaped within me i felt that there was a charm in living after all and the moment was a critical one for had the lad begged me to return with him to the beguilements of barbarism i think it possible that i might have consented but he didn't he was the pink of propriety and an honour to his progenitors he said a brief grace before eating prayed audibly before retiring was patient to the pitch of stupidity and amiable to the verge of idiocy at last i began to see through him another four-and-twenty hours and he would be restored to the arms of his guardians the sweet lanes of lahaina would again blossom before him and all that he thought to be excellent in life would know him as it had known him only a few weeks before it was time that he had again begun to walk the straight path and he knew it he was cahaley the two-sided cahaley the chameleon whose character and disposition partook of the colour of his surroundings who was pious to the tune of the church bell yet agile as any dancer of the lascivious hula at the thump of the tom-tom he was a representative worthy of some consideration a typical hawaiian whose versatility was only excelled by the plausibility with which he developed new phases of his kaleidoscopic character he was very charming and as diverting in one role as another he was moreover worthy of much praise for his skill in playing each part so perfectly that to this hour i am not sure which of his dispositions he excelled in nor in which he was most at home cahaley adieu i might have upbraided thee for thy inconstancy had i not been accused of that same myself i might have felt some modicum of contempt for thee had thy skin been white but under the cover of thy darkness sin hid her ugliness and thy rich blood leaped to many generous actions that a white-livered sycophant might not aspire to i can but forgive all and sometimes long a little to live over the two sides of you extremes that met in your precious corporosity and made me contented with a changeful and sometimes cheerless pilgrimage for i knew boy that if i went astray you would meet me upon the highest moral grounds and though i could not rely upon you somehow you came to time when least expected and filled me with admiration and surprise a sentiment which time and absence only threaten to perpetuate. End of chapter 15